Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 118th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Jared Reynolds. Jared is a partner in Wilkerson and Reynolds, an advisory firm in Columbia, Missouri, that oversees nearly $160 million in assets under management with a heavy focus in working with small business owners and their 401k plans. What's unique about Jared, though, is the way that he's grown his business with small business owners by forming a niche in working with bass fishermen, for whom he organizes fishing and hunting trip expeditions, and gets an opportunity to spend hours or even days at a time in close proximity with small business owners to form relationships and then eventually share a little bit more about what he does for his clients. In this episode, we talk in depth about how Jared formed his niche with bass fishermen in what started out as a family connection through his father into the bass fishing community and then morphed into attending bass fishing trade shows and tournaments, and then developing an expertise in working with bass fishing tournament winners on tax strategies for their prize winnings and how to negotiate their endorsement deals and TV contracts, and ultimately evolved beyond just working with competitive bass fishing professionals and into those who engage in bass fishing as a luxury sport, many of whom are also very successful small business owners. We also talk about how exactly Jared was able to turn his hobby and passion into an actual prospecting activity, the way he organizes fishing and hunting trips with prospects as an opportunity to form new relationships, why he has a firm policy of not branding his advisory firm as part of the expeditions to downplay his own background as a financial advisor and allow the conversation of how he can help prospective small business owners to occur more organically how he's found that more extreme marketing activities actually tend to develop the best prospects, and his advice on how any advisor can turn their own hobby into a passion prospecting strategy to attract their own clients. And be certain to listen to the end, where Jared talks about the hockey stick of growth that emerges as you focus into a niche, how it often takes three years to really get established with a specialty, but the way it compounds exponentially further after 10 or more years, to the point that Jared's biggest regret is that he didn't focus even earlier on just trying to do business with, as he puts it, his people, the fishermen and hunters that he enjoys working with the most anyways. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Jared Reynolds. Welcome, Jared Reynolds, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you, Michael. Uh, pleasure to be here. So I, I'm I'm really excited about today's episode because people who have heard me talk over the past couple of years about industry trends, you know, both at conferences and and even here on the podcast, have uh, uh, you have heard me kind of pound the table that the future I think for most small and solo advisory firms is is finding niches, is finding specializations, is finding like some something that you can become known for like some community or group that you can get immersed into for which, you know, lots of advisors over the years have specialized in doctors and executives and things like that. But I I've always been fascinated of this story that I'd heard a couple of years ago of an advisor who built a niche around 
bass fishermen because all fishermen would be too broad, right? We got to go just the bass fishermen so we can really get into the bass fishing tournaments. And, and, and you are bass fishermen, dude. So <laughs> like this story has been built up for, I feel like at least years with some of the, the people who follow our, our content around building a niche in something as specialized as bass fishing. And you are the bass fishing niche guy. And so I'm just really excited to talk about like, how the heck does that come about? And, and how does that evolve as you continue to do that over time? Sure. No, looking forward to it. And, and it is a pretty unique story on, on how I ended up there. So what, what, was the, what was the pathway? Like, I just, I feel like we got to start there. How, how does someone pick a niche as, I don't mean this in a negative way, but just like as random as bass fishermen, right? And just the bass fishermen, that's where we're going to go. Sure. So starts with childhood. My father growing up was a professional bass fisherman, toured the country and and fished the series of tournaments kind of all over the place. And, you know, it was interesting. My family, we have a resort on Truman Lake. That's where I grew up, you know, on the water and of course, fishing. It's pretty interesting growing up. People were like, oh, are you going to, you know, follow in your dad's footsteps and go fish tournaments and everything? And I always kind of was like, you know, I don't think so, because I actually fished with one of my dad's partners one time, uh, the first tournament, I fished against my dad. We won, and we got big bass. So, of course, I thought this was pretty good, because I beat my dad. But what people didn't know is, on that tournament, or in that tournament, my, my partner, who was one of my dad's best friends, he lost a fish, and he went ballistic, you know, and, and I'm in the back of the boat. I'm a kid, you know, and here's this grown man like throwing stuff and, you know, saying a few choice words and everything. And and I'm like, wow, this, this that's not fun. I don't yeah, I'm like I, this. I don't like this, you know? <laughs> you have now officially discovered the line when your hobby turns into a job. Exactly right. I mean, when your cast can be, you know, in today's world, a hundred thousand or a million dollar cast. Yeah. That puts a little bit of a pressure on that cast. And, and so I kind of always, I kind of decided, Hey, I love fishing, man. I love fishing, but I don't really want to do this at a competitive level and take away the the joy of fishing to me. So I kind of decided then that I'm not going to go that fishing tournament route. But obviously I grew up everybody's hey what's your dad do? Oh, he's a professional bass fisherman. Oh, that must be nice, you know. And I didn't really think much thought about it. Like, yeah, he goes around and he fishes, you know. But I had never traveled with my dad or been on the circuit or went and seen what all they do. I just simply kept on going or, you know, just I'm fishing and I yeah, like just, it. You know, I'm, I'm not growing up and doing my thing. I'm a yeah, doing teenager. Thing. Yeah. Exactly that right. Exactly right. You know, from that standpoint, went to college and everything, thought, well, you know, I actually came to school to be an architect uh, and, and then thought attorney. And then I had a fraternity brother tell me about the stock market. I was like, what's that? You know, and he said, wow, my fund's earning 40%. This was back in the dot-com boom, right? Well, Well, excellent. Yes, the time we all got caught up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I was day trading back then. It was fun until I lost. Um, Uh, Right right there, right there with you. Yeah. Good humbling experience, you know. Somewhere I still have an account that was my original like Daytech online account from 1999. <laughs> so, you know, started and I went and I switched my major. I was like, wait, how do I do this? You know, I'd grown up competing in math competitions and that kind of stuff. So I was good with numbers. I, I understood that part. Uh, even down at the marina, you know, would help my mom count the money for the register and all that. And I loved it. Uh, and I've always loved being a problem solver, you know, present me a problem. It's just, it's my innate 
just characteristic. I'm going to go solve the problem for you in some way, shape, or form. So I went to my counselor, said, how do I work in this? And they said, well, you should look at being a financial advisor. I was like, okay. So I switched my major, lost 13 hours of Spanish, you know, but that's okay. Helps on vacations. Like, was this a time when you had options for financial planning majors? Like, did you go that direction or did you just sort of land in general, like, I'm going to be an econ major that's about as close to money stuff as I can get? Right. So it was kind of, I would say, in the very beginning of when financial planning started to be a course in the university. So I went to University of Missouri. And back then, the actual degree was uh, personal and family economics, I believe, or consumer and family economics. That was it. That's what it is. I just looked over at my degree on the wall. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't really say what it was, but there were two paths. You could do financial management, which there was going to be some coursework or everything around financial planning, or you could do emphasis in financial planning. So I did the emphasis, which I actually kind of found out by default a little bit later that it was the first time they had offered a CFP board registered program. And so my class through the University of Missouri was the first one, quote, eligible to sit for the exam based on your college course load. Okay. Very cool. You know, back then it wasn't really relayed all that well because it was still all new because <laughs> I actually submitted submitted my transcripts to the CFP board and was like, you know, they called me back and they're like, well, you can just sit. And I said, well, excellent. Send me my hundred bucks back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Alrighty then. So I, I chose that path. Well, you know, again, I, I just, I did not grow up around a stock market or anything. I didn't know anything about it. So it was kind of all new from that respect. But but the pathway to specializing actually started by going to work on a ranch one summer with one of my really good friends. And so I went down to Oklahoma to work on his dad's ranch, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but his dad self-made, you know, so I got in really good there. I loved working on the ranch. It was a lot of fun, but it was a bit of a turning point just from motivation of here's this guy self-made, you know, doing really well and everything. And we talked a little bit about the market and stuff, and he had an advisor in Chicago. Okay. And so it came time for one of my last classes and we're supposed to go interview a professional. So I was a little bit of the brown noser in classes. Okay. In the sense that if I had to turn a report in, I'm the guy who would go to the library and get it like bound in plastic and, you know, black spiral and everything. Oh, all right. You're like, I, you, you were the one with the polished reports. I was the one with the misplaced staple. Okay. I got it. <laughs> I'm not saying my report was going to be that great, but I said, if I at least can impress the person who's grading when they first pick mine up, they're going into grading mine with a little bit of a, a good feeling, you know? So, which is very true. Yeah. So it came time, you're supposed to go interview a professional. And I thought to myself, look, everyone in my class is going to interview somebody here in Columbia, Missouri. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm, go I'm going somewhere else. And so I was like, I'm going to go interview the advisor of my friend's dad. He's in Chicago, you know. So his name was Alan Edinger, and he, he worked in what was then the Sears Tower. So I go up there, I uh, got this set interview time, you know, my buddy and I, we drive all the way up there and, and I go in to, to get this interview. I got to meet with the assistant first, you know, and now, so again, I grew up way out in the country, okay, traveled a lot in college, so I love cities and everything. And I get up in there and I'm interviewing his assistant and I'm talking to her and everything. And I look out her window and she has this amazing view of Lake Michigan. I was like, man, that's a really beautiful view. And she like leaned forward and looked out and she's like, I guess so. 
And I'm sitting here like, wait, wait a minute. You you don't look at that? Like, that's that's amazing. And I'm like, okay. I notice she's pretty pale white and everything. I'm like, man, all right. So I'm asking them about their day, you know, and their day, it, it's pretty hardcore. You know, it's it's to the office super early, blah, blah, blah. And she runs through everything. And and then I asked her, I was like, hey, by the way, in your your day that you laid out for me, you didn't mention eating. You know, where do you, what do you do for lunch? And she's like, oh, we typically won't eat lunch. And I was just like, whoa. Really? She's really selling this career for you, huh? <laughs> yeah, believe me, I'm quickly finding out, okay, moving to Chicago to be an advisor is not really lining up with what I want to do. So then it comes time, Mr. Edinger slides the window open to his assistant's area and he says, you know, I don't remember, like, you know, it's four o'clock, you know, you got 20 minutes. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm trying to finish up with her. He pretty soon goes, 19 and I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Okay. And I stand up, go straight in there. I'm like, I'm getting this interview. You know, I'm not missing this. I drove here for this. So we go through and he talks about, you know, reversion to the mean and all this, you know, just kind of asking the standard questions I'm going to ask for my report. Last question is, you know, if you had to go back and do it all over again, what would you do different? And he says, I would specialize. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, you know, specialize in what? He's like, find a niche and specialize in it. And I'm like, all right, great for the report, you know, write up my report and everything else. Don't think another thing of it. Start in the business, go to work. And my dad calls me one day. And out of curiosity, where did you where did you land when you started in the business? How did you how did you get started? Pulled off one of those little tabs in the uh, office at the university for an internship. Uh, started with Waddell and Reed back then. Okay. Really chose that for two reasons. Number one, they were all about planning, you know, which that's what I was learning. So I'm like, this is this is me. But the one that really I was after was that they would go ahead and sponsor me to get my Series Seven and all my licenses. Now, so this is that was June of 2001 when I got my internship. And so not a great time in the markets, you know, and I'm sitting here, a a lot of people in my class are going to graduate with the same thing I've got, you know, and so I said, well, if I go this route and I'm fully licensed, I can, you know, compete if if this guy's got to get licensed and it's going to take him a few months, you know, I'm ready to go to work. Oh, so, so like I went right in. So you could actually get your, um, you could get your series seven done as the internship, as the intern, still an intern phase. Yes. Ah, okay. All right. So, a, so I went for it. And it's an interesting way to create an edge for just like from a hiring recruiting perspective for the firm. Sure. Now, I don't even know if they do that anymore. It just, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's how it was well, then. Apparently they should because it seems to have worked. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I really, I looked at it and I said, well, even if I don't like this company, I'm licensed. I'm ready to go, you know? So yeah, I got my Series 7 over the Christmas break, got my 66 in the next January and turned on and went to work in March of '02. Uh, while I was still taking classes. A little stressful at that time, but, you know, started getting going. And, you know, getting into heavy technology back then, uh, we were using profiles planning software, I think. Yes, I started on uh, profiles as well. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I was good with a computer, kind of started helping out uh, who is now my business partner at that time. And I was doing all the technology side, loved the dual meetings with him, started giving me experience. And then my dad calls me one day and he says, hey, I got a guy. He fishes the circuits. He actually owns another business or this or that. And, you know, he had an advisor at this other firm. He's had a bad experience. Can you help him out? And right then and there, it was like a brick fell out of the sky and hit me. And I was like, wait, dad, is anybody doing what I do 
focusing on this industry. And he was just kind of sat there for a minute. He's like, well, not that I know of, you know, now you also have to understand the, the older days of the bass fishing industry, you know, was kind of a lot of guys living in a van down by the river, hoping to make it, you know, kind of thing. I think that's kind of any, any sport with a lot of amateurs trying to go pro, you, you get a good amount of that. And and nowadays, you know, ESPN bought bass and all this stuff. So there's all this money coming into the sport now. You got fantasy fishing and everything, just like the other major sports. So there's a lot of money there now. And so anyway, he was like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, well, I think, you know, I, I think I want to focus on this because I said, I mean, I know fishing. I can handle that part, you know. I, I know these people because I hang around them with you for a bunch of years. Right. And and again, I still just didn't understand my dad in the industry really at all. And so I went to what's known as the Bassmasters Classic. Okay. So this last weekend was the Bassmasters Classic, and that is the Super Bowl of bass fishing. Okay. So 2004 is my first year I go. And part of the classic, there's the tournament and all of that that goes on. But the other part is there's this big trade show. Okay. And it's open to the public and everybody, every business in the industry and all this stuff's got booths there and everything else. And so I was like, well, I just want to go there with you, dad, and walk around, you know? And so we just start walking around. And I mean, next thing I know, like everyone is saying hi to my dad. And my dad knows every single person in this building. I'm like, wow. This, this could work out. Well, you know, I tell people, because uh, I go back to speak at the college and, and talk to the students, and I say, you know, it takes about at least a three-year commitment at, at, a, at a minimum to try and get into a real niche, okay? Because back then, the bass fishermen, it's a, it's a family, a big family. And so I started going, walking around with my dad, and it was always, oh, hey, you're Walt's boy. Nice to meet you, you know. Well, the next year, so, you know, and there's two big shows that I was, I consistently wanted to be at. One was the Bassmasters Classic, and then there's what's called ICAST. So ICAST to the fishing world is what, like, the automotive Detroit show is to the, the automotive world or something like that. Okay, so, like, this is this is where all the cool equipment gets showed off. This is, like, this is the cutting edge of the bass fishing industry exactly right all new products there's always the new product showcase and all this kind of stuff right but the best part about icast is it's not a public event so it is only the industry the owners of the companies and then like buyers groups and distributors and so you know when it's the public it's it's chaos you know because especially everybody's wanting autographs and all this stuff and here i'm sitting here going you know look I I grew up on cold calling and all that fun stuff. And I'm sitting there like, I can walk up to the booth and meet the president of the company. And I'm getting introduced by my dad, you know, uh, and we're normally walking around with some other really big names in the industry. Cause that's who my dad works with now. And so again, you know, second year it was, Oh, Hey, you're Walt's boy, the finance guy. Well, by about third year, and you know, this is a timing industry, right? It started to be like, Hey, I need to talk to you. You know, and I was fortunate enough, again, through my father and everything to land some really big names in the industry. And and so now it was, oh, you're handling so-and-so's money. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you, too. You know, again, really tight niche industry. Word got around quickly. And, and so, yeah, it just started evolving, you know, really to the point where Carol, my partner, walks in and hands me a, another file to start building their plan again. And I look at him and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't have time to do that anymore. Love working with you. Love joint meetings and everything. So let's just hire somebody. And that's kind of how it 
really started evolving and going. But yeah, long roundabout way there of it just sort of happened and I fell into it a little bit. So it's like, this brings a couple of questions to mind and, and those are just sort of looking at the, the evolution, you know, that, that progression from like, Hey, you're Walt's board boy to your Walt's boy, the finance guy by year two. And then suddenly by year three, it's like, Hey, I think I, I think I need to talk to you. You know, that progression, like I've, I've observed the same thing in building, building some of my own businesses and with a lot of advisors out there that just what you said is so true. Like it's, it takes a couple of years. Like e- even if you've got a connection, even if you've got an, an, an in, as it were, like I think a lot of people go into niches because they've got a personal connection or they've got some family member, family history that ties to it. But it still takes a while for people to decide that they they know you, they like you, they trust you. They have to reconfigure their view eventually away from your waltz boy into your finance guy for people like us. It takes time. That's right. And and one other thing that kind of helped along that way was, I'm not going to remember the author's name, but there was the Networking with Millionaires. And and I got the audio book. And, and I was listening to it. And one guy in there that they interviewed, he may have been an insurance guy or something, but he was talking about going to industry meetings, right? And, and they were like, you know, well, why don't you go to your industry meetings? So for me, like, why don't I go to all these finance industry meetings? And he goes, because I never got a client at it. And it, you know, that one just struck me like, of course, yeah, you're not going to get a client at industry meetings. Now they're important. Don't get me wrong. And I do go, but it was one of those, like, you know, without a doubt, I'm not going to miss the fishing industry, you know, events that I need to be at, you know, period, because I can get clients at those. And and so I just always made it a commitment that I'm going to go to these events, you know. But it, but it makes an interesting point, like. I, I feel like it's sort of obvious yet I see a lot of advisors not do this or not come in with the right expectations. Like you want to get into the bass fishing niche, like you don't go to FPA events and such. You can go to those because it's good for professional education, the rest, but like you want to go to you want to go get bass fishermen, like go to bass fishing events, go to bass fishing conferences, go to their trade shows, for which I'm gonna imagine like there weren't a lot of other financial advisors walking the hallways. No, I mean, none, zero. (laughs) So, you know, that was kind of, again, why I was like, wow, it's wide open. There's no one there. I I think this can work. And, and so, so how did this work when you're still in parallel starting out at Waddell and Reed? I mean, no knock against Waddell and Reed, but Almost all the firms back then, like you started, this was still the cold calling world. I think do not call this hadn't even been officially implemented yet. So I'm just, maybe it's me, but I'm just, I'm just imagining these conversations with your sales manager where they're saying like, how many cold calls did you do this week? And you're like, oh, well, I didn't go do very many because I was at a bass fishing tournament and they're like labeling you as bass fishing slacker guy. And you're like, no, no, I'm doing business development. Really? How does that go? Like, how do you make the case for trying to immerse yourself into this niche when you're just trying to get going? Well, I think, you know, the the one referral my dad gave me, the first one that kind of, you know, was the brick out of the sky moment. You know, I landed him. Okay, well, and, and you know, back then, this was a big deal. He was a six-figure client, my first one, you know. And, oh, all right. You got a whale out of the gate. Uh, yeah, buddy, you know. And so it was like, all right, you know, there's something here. So I think they were willing to give me a little, you know, slack, like, all right, you know, you got this right out of the gate. So, okay, 
continue on. But, you know, th- that's why it wasn't something, especially back then, that I had uh, the ability uh, financially and, and everything else to go be at all these meetings and all this other stuff. You know, I remember the first, this client, when I went to see him, he was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember, you know, everything was shoestring budget, right? Because my wife, I think, was still in college at the time, you know, and so everything was just as cheap as I can do it. And I remember getting the cheapest rental car possible out of the deal and about dying on the road in Atlanta in a hellacious rainstorm and thinking to myself, all right, I'm at least worth getting a little better rental car, you know, so that I'm not risking my life here. You know, it took some time and I had to keep doing other things, you know, because it took time with the professional fishermen themselves. Their schedules are intense, you know, especially when it is fishing season, you know, so very difficult to get to see them and everything else. Cause I mean, you got to leave them alone at that elite level, you know, they're busy and they're totally focused on the next tournament. And back then there was even guys fishing two different circuits. Okay. Which meant almost a tournament every other week or every week. And, and they got to drive there and take their boat and all this other stuff. So it, it was slow to get going. But then I think, you know, one of the things that kind of said, hey, I don't only have to focus on the fishermen, you know, kind of came about. So again, my dad, you know, it is my connection in, calls me and says, hey, I got a really good buddy. My dad lives down in Florida. Uh, And so he says, I got a good buddy over here. Uh, He's a fisherman, but he owns a construction company. You know, I, I think you ought to talk to him kind of deal. Well, I was just beginning my education kind of in that 401k market space. And so, you know, freearissa.com, started looking up the plan, you know, and I'm doing all my homework and I got a wholesaler working with me, teaching me everything. And, you know, so then I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go meet with this guy. I know all about his plan. And so we go out with my dad fishing on the water. We're out bass fishing. And it was planned that we would meet up with him and and, uh, just do some fishing. And my dad is very good about business. It's not the worst way to uh, to prospect. Like, get, <laughs> you were right. Getting the fish for the afternoon. Yeah. So we go out and we fish. I think it was funny because I think back then there are some photos floating around of me in a suit with a fish. I think we did the photo shoot that day, but because I was starting to really try and focus on that. And and we get close to to this guy, and he's like, "Well, why don't you hop over there in his boat and you can go fish with him for a little bit?" And then my my dad was good. He got strategically far enough away that you know you couldn't hear the conversation going on oh that just lobbing you up here beautiful it is i I owe him a lot of props for that i just said i was like hey you know i I noticed on your 401k you don't have a lot of great participation and he was like well you're right you know and he's kind of like how do you know that And i said well it's out there it's public i can see it i'm just like does the guy come visit you you know anyway while i'm doing this you know i'm sitting there fishing the whole time and it did kind of hit me a little bit like I am working in the fishing industry now, you know, because everybody always said, are you going to follow your dad's footsteps? And I'm like, well, kind of, but no, <laughs> you know, so I was working and, and yeah, it just kind of hit. So like, now Wait a all bass fishing is a deductible business expense. You just got to get a prospect on the boat. There you go. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, this is great, you know, but that's what really opened me up. Like, okay, I shouldn't just try to focus on the pros. You know, again, they're super busy. Some of them, you know, really aren't making great money. And so I was like, all right, let's start just anybody who likes to bass fish. And it started gaining me some business owners, right? Because, you know, bass fishing is a luxury sport uh, at this level anyway. I mean, boats are up to 
$90,000 boats now. It's crazy. You know, I mean, lures can be $25 for one lure and stuff. So, I mean, to really compete at that level, it takes a lot of equipment. Well, it's no different than golf, right? I mean, you watch the guy on TV fish with this lure or whatever, you know, you're going to go buy that lure and rod and reel and boat and everything else. And so business owners who loved the bass fishing industry is where I really started putting my attention to and specifically with 401ks, you know, so find a business owner who loves fishing and I just want to talk to them about their 401k because I, I found that business owners are more open to letting you look at a 401k first than they are their personal stuff, you know, and there's a, a little bit of that stigma of, Hey, I know your dad. We're all good friends. We're, you know, in this industry together. We're kind of like family. I don't really want to tell you all about my personal stuff yeah. yet. But, but, but the 401k stuff is just so like, hey, yeah, you know, I, I own a business. My business has some needs. You know something about a thing my business needs help with. Like we can, we can have that conversation. It's, you know, you're, you're close enough to be familiar, but not so close that it's socially awkward given that you're so close. Right. And and so then it you know you go in you show some expertise on the four hundred one k and all that stuff and invariably so what else can you do you know or you find the way to kind of put in like by the way I just need to disclose I do work in these other areas as well you know again it, it went from the pros to really anybody who you know kind of maybe owns a business likes fishing started evolving along those lines and you know then on the other side of it it was you know hey. I love the outdoors. I love hunting as well. And it, it really started to kind of move to anything a little more outdoor related. It was interesting. So in June of 2008, um, we joined Ron Carson's coaching program back then. So I'd read the book, Tested in the Trenches, you know, and, and my partner and I, I was trying to get everything. Again, I'm still trying to do everything as cheap as I can do it. Ron actually gave us 30 minutes. We drove up there and, and we sat down. And I really expected that 30 minutes to be a pitch to join his coaching program, to be honest. And kudos to him. He didn't mention it once. He sat there and told me his story and how he got started and all this stuff. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, then we came back and he had these systems manuals we were trying to get our hands on, you know, because I was like, oh, we need those. We're going to systematize everything. And, and we were trying to get it through our compliance and just, it nothing was working right. And I said, I was like, we just need to join the program, you know. And, you know, they had, I think it was like a 300,000 GDC or something you needed back then. And, and well, you know, I wasn't there. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, I'm going to find a way in. And so I kind of had to fudge some numbers to get in because I was like, nothing's going to hold me back. I need this education. I need this. And when we got there, they started talking about passion prospecting. And it just, it was like, yes, yes. I kind of have been doing this. I didn't know it. It just sort of happened. And so then I came back, I was like, all right, you know, I, I really like this idea of passion prospecting. And so then I started to look at putting some trips together because I said, well, you know, I have my dad, uh, I have some celebrities in that space. What if I organize some trips, you know, Interesting. Uh, to go, so rather than just trying to go, to go out to a bass fishing tournament and get someone's attention while fishing or tournamenting or going to a trade show, which only comes up once or twice a year where you can get to a whole bunch of people at once. Like what if we do, I guess it's your version of a, you know, a client process or a prospecting event. Just what if we organize our own fishing trips and invite out the people that we want to invite out and get close. To? Exactly. Because the one thing that 
kept coming up when I would go to the classic or I would go to iCast. You know, it's it's massive crowds, especially if I was with kind of one of my celebrity clients, then everybody's hounding them for autographs. And, you know, I'm almost like playing part kind of bodyguard, you know, keeping people away and helping him run his schedule kind of thing. And everybody's so busy. So fantastic place for the introductions and to make connections. But then it was like, well, you know, we'll talk later, you know? And and so it took a couple of years. I just kept kind of figuring out like, you know, I need to find a way to get back in front of them. Like you said, except for two times a year when they're super busy because all those guys got agendas when they go to these things, you know, they're running tight schedules and meetings all the time and they're trying to put together deals. I mean, because it's the only time twice a year when all of these people are right. together. They're, they're, you know, when you, it's a good chance to meet all these people at a big trade show, but if they're high status people in the community, they already have their own agenda when they go to their annual event and it's probably not meeting with you to solicit them. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. So then it just, I was like, that's it. I've got to start organizing things afterwards, make the connection, have a good conversation or whatever, have a dinner with them, but then ultimately say, let's go do this other thing. Because you're right, being at the Classic or at the ICAST, the last thing somebody really wants to get into on a conversation is deep dive in finance. You know, it's just, a, it's the last thing they want to deal with. That's business elsewhere, not here. And, and so I just said, well, let's organize some trips. And we did. We, and, and uh, there were some people inside of Carson's that I worked with that had done some of these too. And, and they really told me like, Hey, the, the bigger, more extreme, more adventurous you make this trip. Okay. Uh, number one, the better the prospects are. Okay. Because it's cost more to go. So you're dealing with people with larger discretionary income. Right. So you can, you know, it, it's one of those subtle things like you run an event that's a little higher scale and is cool, but costs a little more to participate in. And lo and behold, the people with a little more limited means strip themselves out and the business owners who can write big checks and have good businesses that they can get away from are the ones who show up, which is pretty much the prospects you wanted. Exactly right. And so again, we just started organizing these things because, you know, like for instance, we went to the Amazon peacock bass fishing. Well, I went down there with one of the celebrities. He's filming a TV show. So it was actually pretty easy to sell the spots out on that. Like, hey, do you want to go with this guy? They're going to film a TV show. We're going to the Amazon. We're going to catch big peacock bass. You know, what more could you ask for? So was that kind of the the anchor? Like, I'm just wondering, how, how literally do you put these together and people to show up? Is it like, hey, I know all the – I know a bunch of these celebrity bass folks or maybe one of them is even my client. Like, I'm going to get that person to come. Heck, I'll – pay their own way or tag along or something. And then I market to everyone else, like come to this cool bass fishing event. We're going to a neat location. You will get to sit on the boat with so-and-so, you know, here's the details. Do you want to come? Yeah. I mean, that's how it started, right? Because if I just said, want to go fishing with me, you know, who are you? Right. Well, and that's what I was wondering. Like it's, it's neat to say, Hey, I'm going to bring out all the people in my, in my area of specialization to come with me to an event. But like, you still have to get them to show up and saying like, hey, I'm a financial advisor running a bass fishing trip is probably not the most exciting thing for most bass fishermen. Our industry does not have the best reputation here. Right. And so one of my big rules as far as these kind of events go, I never bring up this line of business. So I don't, you know, I'm not saying like, hey, I'm an advisor and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So any correspondence dealing with it, like I am emailing and talking to them like I'm a buddy and we're just, we're going to go 
fishing or, so or whatever it like, is. We're just a couple of people that are going to do this cool fishing trip thing together. Here's what it's going to take for all of us to go, everybody in and organize your trip. So, so in the beginning, I did I, I did a bigger one. We took like 18 people down to the Amazon, you know, and that was a real learning curve, right? So first of all, a never a group that big. Event. I mean, that's just a big thing to organize in general, logistically. It was. I mean, I partnered with an outfitter, you know, because I said, look, I'll get the people there. You know, you handle all the logistics and everything else. And And again, I'm not paying for anything. I'm just the organizer and because, the inviter. Because everybody's paying their own way. Just like that's the deal. You're just the organizer that's setting up this cool trip. Exactly right. Yeah, I'm not. You know, we call them plate lickers. You know, I, I don't need a bunch of plate lickers going on this trip and just for a free ride kind of thing, and have no intention of ever speaking to me. But again, there's nothing like I'm not doing logoed brochures and everything saying, "Come on the Wilkerson and Reynolds bass fishing trip." You know, none of that. I never mention it. I do it just like I'm their hunting buddy or fishing buddy organizing a trip for all of us to go on. But again, in the beginning, I tried to use some kind of celebrity appeal. So we did like the Amazon. I did Alaska bear hunting and salmon fishing, you know, with another celebrity who was filming a show and stuff. And I, I, to me, I felt I needed that draw of this celebrity to really get the, the bigger prospects there and everything. But then I, I, I started to learn like, you know, no, I, I really don't need that. And again, this is over time, right? So I started building up better clientele, uh, larger clients and prospects. Eventually, people just know you actually do cool events if you're doing cool events. So the celebrity part, I, I would imagine, just downplays a little over time as you get a reputation for organizing cool trips. It did. It did. And so the peacock bass fishing thing, it, local paper wrote an article about me, that kind of stuff. So then locally, I started getting this, you know, because bass fishing is all over the country. You know, and that's, I end up a decent amount of travel and, and all that kind of stuff. Technology is making that a lot easier. But, you know, then locally it started working. And like I said, then I started to shift over towards hunting. And, and I went on kind of a, a crazy alligator hunt that went terribly wrong. Okay. And, uh, all right. I just, but it made a great not, story. Not, you know? <laughs> not to be morbid, but I kind of have to ask, you know, for, for those of us not in the hunting fishing world, like, alligator trip gone horribly wrong usually means someone ends out inside the alligator that it didn't go that wrong okay it came very close to that and, and you know my dad called me said hey want to come down we're going alligator hunting we got some tags you know i said oh fantastic and he said i had never met this other guy and he goes hey i got a buddy that you should meet you know he owns some companies and everything but big fisherman big hunter you should invite him and see if he wants to go and so literally my first call to this guy is you know hey do you want to go alligator hunting with us? And he's like, when? And I go, well, it's actually next week. You know? <laughs> so, so first of all, he's got to be really spontaneous, but he says yes. And so we go down and I meet the guy in the airport for the first time ever. And it's like, hey, let's go alligator hunting. Well, the way they do it in Florida is you go all night long. Okay. So this was one of those get up at four to make the flight and all that kind of fun stuff. And then we're going hunting all night long, hunt all night long in Southern Florida in August. There's a couple of mosquitoes. It's it's just it's miserable. We can't find a big enough alligator, right? And then when we finally do, like the first time the crossbow doesn't work, we drop a rod with a big hook in the water. I mean, everything's going wrong. And then we finally get one. And and I got him beside the boat because because you know, you shoot him with the crossbow, you reel him towards the boat, and then we're sitting there, he almost gets a hold of my friend's foot. Okay. The alligator actually splits the front of his boot with his tooth. 
And so we're supposed to use what's called a bang stick, which is like a stick with like a rifle cartridge on the end of it. And you hit him right in the back of the head and, and it slides out. Well, we're with this guy that we thought was an alligator guide, but it wasn't really an alligator guide. And his bang stick didn't work. Okay. And you are not allowed to have firearms on the boat in Florida. And when they told me that before I went, I said, I'm going to take a large knife. Okay. Just in case. Okay. So you don't have to get into a knife fight with an alligator to save your prospect. I, you know, that might be embellishing a little bit, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking at this guy after the bang stick didn't work and we had nothing else to assist with the alligator. And my buddy and I were both Missouri guys look at each other and I'm like, man, I'm going back to biology class. He's got a spinal cord. I said, let's cut it. You know, I was like, this is all I know to do. And so, yeah, it ended up being a, a alligator wrestling match, to be honest, and ended up harvesting him with a knife. Well, that story, when it got back here, I mean, just spread like wildfire, right? You know, and I was like, wow, the bigger, more extreme the adventure, you know, the better the story, the better the, you know, your, your brand kind of starts getting out there. At least and, as long you know, as you come back from them. And yeah, exactly. Right. So, and I have no desire to go alligator hunting again, by the way. So, you know, I just started to see like, all right, I, I need to organize more of these things that are just out there and I need to focus on the hunting side. So like now I go to the SHOT Show each year, which is the shooting, hunting and outdoor trade show, usually out in Vegas. And again, same thing, giant show, public's not allowed. So it's all industry and you are walking around and going through, meeting everybody. But again, you're meeting the presidents of the companies and you know all of that kind of stuff. So started focusing on the, the hunting side, just like I would with the fishing. But one of the other things kind of came about, like with that Amazon or the Alaska or these bigger trips, you know, even have done like African safari and that kind of stuff. The problem was these were long, big trips, right? I mean, like Amazon is a two-week commitment. And so Family guys, doctors, other things like that. They're just like, they love fishing. They love the outdoors, but they can't make that trip. You know, it's too long. So we started saying, let's orchestrate and come up with some shorter trips. And so like, I have a client who has a charter service down on Marco Island. And so we started an annual trip where, you know, go down on Thursday, fish Friday, Saturday, back on Sunday, you know, just quick down fish back. And just started and taking groups down there and doing things like that. It also spread more, you know, so I, again, tried and true through the trenches kind of thing. We've been through all the different kind of seminars and any way that's out there that you could try and get a client, right? We've tried it. And we really started coming back to, you know, number one, I want to work with my kind of people. Okay, especially the more you're in this industry and and the fishing and the hunting, they're all usually just similar. They're my people. And so then we said, instead of doing some client events and these seminars where, you know, people are coming for the free dinners and all this stuff, you know, why don't we just focus with these organizations that we really like, you know, like a, a Ducks Unlimited or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or, you know, the NRA and, and things like that, where they have all these local banquets and events so let's go get a table there. You know, I really don't want to be a headline sponsor or anything. Because if I asked you the last charity event you went to, who was the headline sponsor? You probably don't remember. I just want to be there. Okay. And kind of work in the crowd and talking to everybody. Anything dealing with that passion or that niche is where we have started to really support, you know, from a charity standpoint and just anything we can do in, in that industry. So... 
So help me understand as as you're going down these, you know, the kind of the process of doing these events and and as memory serves, this was kind of part of Ron Carson's passion prospecting approach back at the time. Like you 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 find you know, some passion, some hobby, something you like doing, you find other people that do it. You try to put together client events or prospect events where people can come out and do this shared thing that you're all into. You know, you've got the shared passion. That's how you, you connect with them. You get your foot in the door, you get them out to know you, you begin forming the relationship. How did you ultimately turn it into business? When do you, right? Cause like at some point, we still have to to make this transition from like, hey, wasn't that an awesome thing with the alligator? Thank goodness we all survived that. By the way, I do 401k plans, right? Like we still have to make that transition at some point. So how, how do you get it back to the business when you're doing this kind of you know shared passion event kind of marketing approach? Sure. And and you know, I, I made that rule early on about not going after the business discussion, especially fishing wise, because I got them out in the boat, right? And all of a sudden, you know, they're trapped. They can't go anywhere. And and I'm sitting there going, all right, you know, I'm not going to bring it up. That's that's cornering them. And I don't want to be known because if I get that reputation, like, oh, by the way, don't go on one of his trips because, man, it's a hard sell. And, you know, right, right. You, he doesn't, yeah, once he that, doesn't let you back off the water until you've said yes. Right. Once you know? that word gets out, uh, no one's coming on your trips anymore. That's that. Exactly. I'm done. And it was interesting. When I went down to get that charter captain as a client, my dad and I went and his charter captain go out on the boat. Again, my rule, I'm not bringing it up. We are out there and what was the hottest fishing day I've ever been in in my life. Okay, You didn't take a drink of water. You drank the whole bottle each time. Dead calm, no wind, nothing. Oh, and we're 60 You're miles off the coast. Sitting and baking. Oh man, it was miserable. And we talked about every subject under the sun except what I did. And I mean, it's now time to go home. We're beginning the journey back. And I mean, I'm sitting there, you know, and I was still really young at the time. And I'm like, man, how do I do this? I mean, we're starting our way back here. This, this trip is coming to an end. And he hasn't said one word to me about business. This has never happened, you know? We're coming back in and a storm cell moves in between us and land. And we're in a 34-foot catamaran. And he's like, well, we got to go through it. I said, okay, I guess we will. And it's like a center console boat. And I'm sitting back there with him. And we go through this storm, torrential downpours, massive swells. I mean, there's water coming over the boat. I mean, it's just... I'm hanging on for dear life, just like, you know, I don't care at this point. I know I'm not getting business. I just get me home, you know. And he leans over in the middle of this. This guy used to be a Navy captain. So he's just calm. And he leans over and he goes, so your dad says you might be able to help me out. And I'm just like, you pick now to be the time you want to have this conversation, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it did go through. And, and so I kind of after that trip said, like, I need to. You know, I can't bring it up, but I almost need to find a way that it's going to be a topic or something. And so, you know, right, I've like been a little better. Reasons, but it just seems like at, at some point, you do kind of have to get the conversation back there. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of times it's more of just a client story or something. You know, again, I got a number of these trips under my belt now. So, you know, if I use the word client, 
enough in just some conversation or whatever, it, it, they're going to be compelled. Like, so what did you do? Or, so, you so know, what? So instead of like, hey, you know, you should have been on this trip we were on last month, like we were, we were out in this great, you know, alligator hunting thing. Instead, it's like, hey, you should have been on this thing from a couple of weeks ago. You know, I was out with some of our clients on this alligator hunting thing and just sort of drop in there like, I have clients. <laughs> uh, yeah, what I you got to mention something client or if in whatever the subject matter is that you're talking about, you can relate a client to it. Like, you know, yeah, I've got a client with a business in that industry, you know, or something like that, you know. So, again, I didn't bring up, hey, what do you do for a living? Or now I'd like to talk to you about what I do. It was, you know, oh, I got a client in that industry. Do you know so-and-so? You know, I mean, I'm just trying to connect some dots and, and get it at least closer to the topic. But, you know, I am not whipping out a projector and saying, I got a little slideshow I want to show you here real quick. And so now having done this over the years, like, has the... Has your view around this changed? Do you still like strong policy firm won't sponsor firms name is not on stuff? Like I'm only going to just subtly bring it up in conversation. You've just gotten better at finding ways to bring it up subtly in conversation with years of experience doing this. Yeah, my policy is still the same. Uh, I won't bring it up. There's going to be no logoed anything. Well, I say that. I do kind of provide some gifts every now and then, like a koozie, or we did a South Dakota hunt last year. So I had a nice mug, you know, kind of a stainless steel, nice coffee mug made up uh, with our logo and, and the logo of the outfitter on there and just gave, gave one to everybody kind of thing. So small things that do maybe have a logo like that, but it's, you know, I did that the first time I went down to Argentina bird hunting. And I got invited with this group of guys, and I didn't know one person going on here, except I had an acquaintance who just out of the blue, he called me to invite me on this trip because he knew that I was kind of a, a big hunter and I traveled around far places. And to be honest, you know, they just needed to fill a spot. Okay. And I said, well, sure, because I knew who the people on the trip were, but I didn't know them. And I was like, absolutely. This was, you know, some, what we would call around our city, some of the old money in town. And I said, I really want to get involved with that. And so I made hats, you know, I made duck hunting hats and on the back of them, I engraved, you know, like 2010 Argentina trip, you know, kind of deal. Okay. Um, so gave, just gave everybody a hat. thing that you know? now they're aware that you guys do this. Yeah, exactly. Now, the thing that I've gotten a lot better at is, you know, so we just did helicopter hog hunt in Texas. And so on that one, I really limit the number of people going. Again, I love small groups now. And, you know, it's called one of my good clients. Hey, by the way, do you know somebody who might be interested in doing something like this? You know, everybody who is a fisherman or a hunter has the fisher or hunter buddy. Okay. Or multiple. And, and so it's not that difficult to get them to invite, you know, someone else to introduce you to. And, you know, same thing on this one, the people I took, one was a client, one of the others is now a client and the other one really wants me to come meet with him to become a client. And so, and, and, you know, that one was one where it wasn't until the last morning sitting around the TV that the one guy that I had no idea who he was that was coming on this trip actually said to me like, Hey, I'd like to, you know, have you come take a look at our 401k. And again, it started with the 401k talk. And so, right. So this, this like business owners and talking about their 401ks keeps being the, like the door opening angle now. It, I just find it to be so much easier. I mean, I grew up a business owner, right? My entire life. It's all I've ever known is being an employer. And so I, I can connect and speak with them 
on that level. And and usually if it's not 401ks, it's taxes. And and so those right. are that's all I talk about. Everybody hates to everybody loves to hate on taxes while sitting around for a couple hours fishing. <laughs> it's a good, good good topic to hate on with some downtime. So I am curious though of just like what comes next in actually getting to do business with people when it goes like when it goes down this road you're trying to get there like do you try to get to the end of a trip and have some commitment from someone by the end of a trip cuz thank god they finally brought up the conversation you could you know talk a little and get it to a 401k conversation like, is it a goal of saying i want to schedule like i want to have a commitment for a follow up meeting from a prospect by the end of a trip do you do follow-ups to them after the trip say like hey it was great meeting you and you know hopefully you'll notice my email signature that i'll do these other things and let them reply like how does the event follow-up work to try to actually get to appointment phase where you finally make this transition from we're not just fishing and hunting buddies now but like we're actually going to have a professional services prospect meeting right and it's it's become a little more of just i guess natural now but but i i turn and i start to focus on during the trip like you know okay goal number 1 let's get some business talk going at some point okay i'm always relaxed about it and i'm never pushing it but then it's also you know because right, I'm also kind of sizing people up nowadays. Like, is, is this somebody I really want to work with? You know, I mean, I <laughs> I went on a Mexico turkey hunting trip, and there were a couple of guys on that trip that I was like, no way. You know, like these, they're not my people. Okay. I don't want to deal with these people. So that happens. I guess sometimes. that's the other good news of, you know, being, being out on the boat with them or on a hunting trip with them for an extended period of time. Like you just you get to figure out really quick, is this actually someone I want to be in a client relationship with for the next three, five, seven, ten 10 plus years? Yeah. And I think that's also kind of goes to some of my own personal rules on the trip. You know, look, just be a good guy, right? Use your manners, be polite, be a gentleman, you know, do the right thing always. Because while I'm sizing them up, they're sizing me up too. And, and so I'm always focused on being that good guy. I mean, I went on a this is golf, all right? So changing the, the deal a little bit, but down to Costa Rica with some guys that I never really knew. And it was nervous because I'm like, I don't know these guys. I only know one guy in this whole group. You know, we'll just see how this goes. Well, they gave us all like Spanish names afterward. And, and mine was El Tranquillo Cazador, okay? The Quiet Hunter. And I was like, that's perfect, you know? So I'm not the loud mouth. I'm not obnoxious, you know? <laughs> there's there's nothing detrimental about the quiet hunter, you know? So, so it's just kind of my rule. Be a good, likable person, first of all. But then we're always talking about either, A, trips I've been on or other hunting stories. You know, hunting stories are abound in these things and fishing stories and everything. And so you're always talking about this trip and that thing, and you got your pictures on your phone, right? You're going through... Well, it's so easy to be like, well, you know, I set these things up just like I did this trip. I set these other things up and I get these opportunities. They come across, you know, from now time to time. How about I call you for one? You know, be like, yeah, man, I'd love it. That'd be great. You know, and we kind of did that with the, the whole South Dakota hunting. It was, hey, this helicopter hog hunt's coming up. I started reaching back out, you know, and, and the thing that it, I also found was, so some of these things, either A, people can't do it just because of schedules or this or that, or it's just not going to work out this time of year or, or whatever. Well, just like that helicopter hunt, I think I went through about 20 people with the invites, okay, to end up with really four solid people on the trip. And 
But what I did was I built great rapport with the other 16, you know, because they're like, man, thank you so much. I can't go. If you're into fishing and hunting, like, uh, you know, getting a call from a really cool trip that you can't go on still means you got a call about a really cool trip from someone you definitely want to stay in touch with because this person organizes cool trips. Exactly right. And so I just now build this kind of Rolodex of, you know, clients and or prospects because I'll do it just with a prospect, you know, say here locally, like, oh, I, I know so-and-so. Because again, I'll be talking with somebody. They're like, you know, you should talk to, to that guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a radiologist, but man, he's a huge hunter, you know? And I'm like, well, then that's my people. Let's talk, you know? So I'll even get referrals to people for these trips. You know, if I'm talking to the guy who cuts my hair, you know, I mean, I've gotten referrals from him on, you know, there's this other guy, he does this, owns this and loves hunting or loves fishing and that kind of thing. No, so, I got to ask. Um, again, it's just that building that brand. A little does bit. that also mean as you get introduced to new people, there's some like prospecting recon that goes on for you of, of like, well, I just got introduced to this person who's, who's intra hunting. And like, it sounds like he's pretty high up in a pretty big business. Like I'm going to try to get him out. But you know, this other person like, seems nice, not tied to anything that would realistically be a prospect for me. So like, I just don't know if this is going to work out. We only got so many seats on the, on the trip. Is there a, a screening process at this point to who you try to bring out or you just got to find out on the trip, whether this person is actually going to be a qualified prospect or not? Yeah, there definitely is, especially when I'm first organizing the trip, you know, because I mean, I obviously want the best people there that, you know, I have either a very good client who's going to speak highly about me and our experience and everything, or really good prospects, or again, the really good clients that bring their friends, that kind of thing. So I am very selective when I first start the initial ask. Now, if I start getting down to, you know, hey, we're two weeks out and I got one more spot to fill. At some point, you I, I kind of get to the point. Yeah, because I'm usually looking at it and going, all right, I already got like three really good prospects on this trip. You know, landing one of them is all I could really care. That'd be perfect. You know, so I'll just ask buddies or something like that or clients who have done a lot of it with me. And, and you, know. you know, I mean, at some point, just you get to build and spread more goodwill in this community. You know, even people you can't do business with can refer you to people you do business with as long as you're otherwise just justifying this trip and the time overall. Right. The other thing that I try to really focus on is that I'm putting together a group of really fun people, right? Now, which a lot of times isn't that difficult, but there have been times when I've been kind of doing that screening and I'll think of a guy, I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, and then I'm like, no, because him and that guy, that's 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 not going to work out. I just can't do that, you know? And so I've kind of deselected people at times just because I... I don't want awkwardness and uncomfortableness. Everybody wants to have a great time on this trip, you know. And I mean, this this last one we just did, the text we, we had a text thread going, kind of prior, you know. I introduce everybody via text, everybody get to meet everybody, kind of deal. And and there starts to have some fun and jokes in that text thread. And then afterwards, like it really started coming through. These guys are like, man, that was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life, you know. And so it kind of struck another chord that the more you know, unique and kind of far out there or bucket list type adventures, I guess you put together, the deeper the bond you get with that individual, you know, because you, you've now shared this, this thing, you know, that meant so much to them. Because even on that, that hog hunt, we had bad weather and I was getting kind of, 
you know, worried like, man, he's not, this isn't the greatest experience because we're dodging rainstorms and everything. And it's just not smooth and going well. So I thought it wasn't going to be this great of a thing. And I'm getting these texts from these other guys, like, that's the coolest thing we've ever done in our life, you know? Well, it's that whole, like, bonds get formed in hardship in times of challenge, right? Like, we actually sometimes get a little closer and more connected when there's a little bit of stress and challenge on the line than if everything just goes perfectly smooth all the way through. So let me shift a little bit. Help, help me understand just how this is actually translated into the business. Like, what what is your advisory firm look like at this point in terms of you know, clients or assets or plans or however you measure it? Sure. So you've got my partner and I are the main lead advisors, and then we've got nine people inside of our firm. And we kind of take the mindset of there's three people assigned to every client, a lead advisor, a servicing advisor, and a client service administrator, dealing with, I want to say right at about 297 households, probably roughly around 160 million in assets under management right now. And it's it's evolved over time. We're very big in the retirement plan space. And that's just, it's a passion of mine. I really love it because again, it's all business owners and I can, I can, I can just speak their language. And then the rest is, is the private wealth side. You know, we are a planning firm. So planning first, second, and third, uh, you know, and, and we've, we're structured in that respect. I understand. Exactly. I mean, it was all, it's what I got my degree in. It just, it was everything. It's planning. And, and so that's all we've done. We've got three CFPs right now and others working towards it. Then two of the guys here and, and really one of the other advisors we just brought on were, were the specialist on the retirement plan side. So we got our certified plan fiduciary advisor designations in that respect. And that's, it's again, been a great side of the business. We've always looked at it as, you know, you get a lot of these retirement plans on the book and, and it's happening now is, you know, there's not a week that goes by that there's not some kind of clients or referrals or something coming from that side of the business and crossing over to the private wealth side. Out of this, you know, 160 million of, of assets and I think it's closing in on 300 total client households. Like how much of this came from bass fishing and, and hunting and, and this niche world versus just whatever else you've gotten pulled in over to? Wow. You know, it's that's going to be a tougher number to try and just get to because it's it's evolved over time, right? It's not like, oh, you, you came specifically from a referral from this or that. It's the niche and, oh, we've been at those meetings together for, you know, Ducks Unlimited well, and, and, you know, then we were on a committee. I mean, I guess just yeah. broadly, like how much of this business actually came from the niche that you're in and including the ways that's evolved? First, just I'm assuming like sometimes you just got a client or refers a client. They have no relationship. You got a partner. I don't know how deep they're in the the space. You had your cold calling days before you got into the into the niche here, like is almost everybody basically somehow from this network and focus that you built or? If, if I'm just totally guessing, I'm going to say it might be kind of 50-50. And, and so the thing you got to understand there is my partner, he's 17 years uh, older than I am. And so he's, he's been doing this quite a bit longer than I have. And, and so he had a book that he came in you know, has grown him, himself and it's all merged into one practice now. But so there is a lot of, you know, others, I okay. guess, out there. So most of your client base came from this world, but most of the practice, but the cl- practices client base in the aggregate is more split because he's got his own legacy. of Yeah. But I think going forward, 
you're seeing a lot more being in some way, shape, or form relatable to this niche because he's adopted it as well, right? I mean, we're, we're going to the same events and, and we're doing things. We've done some of these trips together. I'm more focused on it. I do a lot more of them. Uh, it's it's my connections and my people, you know, so I do a lot more of it. But as far as the companies and all that stuff that are coming from it and around it and everything, it's it's definitely a bigger part of the practice going forward, which, and again, it's it's really started to evolve into a lot higher net worth clientele. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting when we sit here and say, like those assets under management, and and I've got things in the pipeline that are bigger than half our book. You know, it's, so it's just there's this hockey stick growth curve going on right now, which is a fantastic problem to have. And and is that this like hockey hockey stick of growth curve that's happening? Is is that just you know years of going into this niche now suddenly like you're you're just getting referred further up the line? You're just managing over time to network your way to much bigger prospects or or is it coming from other places that's uh that's picking up the growth cycle yeah i think the biggest part is what you said first there it's you know you've i've just i've worked my way up and and now you know the the level of clients you know are eight figure nine figure level of clients you know as far as overall net worth and everything and and again it's you know as long as I go take them, show them a great time and everything, birds of a feather flock together. So it, it just took time to kind of work the way up to the bigger level of clientele to take on these trips. And, you know, it, it's almost kind of like a glass ceiling there because I was just thinking this these past couple of trips where, wow, the the prospects on these things, you know, there, there's no longer, you know, six-figure prospects anymore. It's, you know, they're all much larger. And and I think it just, it's because of time. And at the same time, that's just, you know, wealth in America, right? I mean, I remember when you first started out, a $100,000 account was a really big deal, you know? And now it's like, you're going to need another comma. I'm sorry. You know, again, great problem to have. So I, it's just a built up over time. I didn't, you know, everybody always wants the magic bullet, right? There was no silver bullet. There was no any one single thing that just all of a sudden broke into this massive success. There wasn't one giant client that did everything for us. And, you know, it is interesting when you peel back the onion layers of some advisory firms where you find that, where, you know, oh, they got that one. And that's over half their book, you know, kind of thing. I, I honestly don't ever want my practice to be tied to something that, you know, with that much leverage in my practice. Uh, that would that would be scary. So yeah, it's just it's taking time and just building into those that circle and spheres of inter- influence. It is interesting to me though that you know, the the way you decided to evolve the the expertise and and how you eventually went deeper and opened more doors with clients that. It sounds like you you didn't necessarily go down the the path of like I'll be I'll be the uh, I'll be the best expert at telling you how to invest bass fishing tournament winnings. Come call me when you when you win. Where like it would tie directly to you know I'll help you with the prize winnings. I'll help you with the endorsement deals, things like that. You you went this other route of saying, look, I'm ending out in front of not just bass fishermen who win tournaments and get some of those opportunities, but even more bass fishermen who just have a lot of assets and disposable income and are really into fishing and hunting and gaming. So I'm going to become an expert in what actually matters to them financially, which is this 401k plan attached to their business. And we'll, and we'll simply let the, the shared passion around 
fishing and hunting and the rest be the the common bond and the way we form the relationship that we then morph into a business one later. Yeah, exactly. Now, in the beginning, I mean, I did really because again, I thought this was it was going to be the pros, right? So. I really did focus everything on learning about, you know, what do you, how do the tournament winnings come in? What's that look like? How could I tell them to shelter this? All this other stuff. And I mean, you you were actually in that early on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, that, you know, again, I needed to know, hey, you just won the tournament. I know what you need to do, you know, and I needed to tell my dad that, hey, by the way, if you got a connection to him, tell him I know what he needs to do. I know how to shelter this, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it started out. And I mean, I got in some weird meetings too, where, I mean, I've negotiated TV contracts. You know, and I just got, yeah, I got thrown in these meetings and I'm thinking to myself, like, it's going to become very apparent that I don't know what I'm doing, you know, but I just sat back and it was kind of simple risk and reward, right? Like they wanted to give the client a short-term TV contract, but wanted him to go spend all this money on new HD camera equipment, right? And I'm sitting here going like, wait a minute, that's a lot of risk on my client. Nothing on you. You're only given a one-year term. I said, you need to come back to the table with greater terms, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, I just negotiated a national TV contract, you know? <laughs> so in the early on, I did get into that once kind of stuff. Once you've done it once, you got 1,000% more experience than the client you're trying to help. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Saying in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Like, you just – I mean, it's an interesting point, though, right? We all get that, you know, Im- imposter syndrome moments, I think, from time to time, like – does my client realize I don't actually know that much about this thing that I've gotten pulled in on? But you know, if you know more than they do, you can still add value. If you just come to it with a sounder head and a better financial numeracy, sometimes that's all it takes to be able to spot issues or highlight potential problems. Like this is a really crappy deal because you're taking all the risk up front with all these costs, and they're barely paying you anything on the back end in the short term. Like you don't, you don't have to be deep in. TV contract distribution deals to understand all upfront risk and very short term payoff probably is not the best. Right, right. So where does it go from here? You know, it's an interesting question. So, so this is, I think, going to be a year of kind of transition and pivoting a little bit. So I'm finding myself working with a lot higher net worth people. And I absolutely love the planning side. You know, like growing up, I was the guy, I never wanted to pay like retail for something. So I'd go find the way around to get a great deal somewhere. And so planning, you know, to me is kind of that on steroids, you know, is finding the way to really make these things come to fruition through really advanced estate planning and and succession planning and stuff. And so I'm beginning to push in that arena, again, still with people connected Okay. But also like in that fishing arena, there are these mega private equity firms and everything that are gobbling up all the little companies. Okay. And so there's a lot more liquidity events going on. Okay. In in larger terms. So being ready for those. And so we're actually hiring one of your previous podcasters, Stephanie Bogan, to come in and kind of help us with that. Like, hey, Again, we're experiencing fantastic growth. Everything's good. You know, it's really fighting for minutes in my days sometimes right now. And and to kind of help us with that strategic next steps, you know, I actually just signed up to get my certified private wealth advisor designation because I'm, it's not that I need a whole bunch of alphabet soup behind me. I just have this thirst for knowledge. And, you know, when I read the course curriculum, there were a few things in there that I'm like, I don't know what that is. And, and I just, 
I, I love that. I have a passion for going for that planning and working on these just larger cases. So, so I'm going to probably shift a little more there and continue to do these trips and everything. But, you know, they're going to continue to probably A, be smaller and more extreme, you know, just it's it's the better clientele. And and the interesting thing that happens, and, and this doesn't necessarily make my wife happy, but, you know, almost at every one of these trips now, another trip gets planned. You know, so, so I'm coming home and like, how was the trip? Oh, it's fantastic. And by the way, in three months, you know, I'm, I need to be gone again because there's this thing. Kind of know, so the timing and the cadence now, like every couple months, you'll, you'll do three or four or five through the year where you're out days at a time space months apart. Yeah, it it really is about getting a lot more selective on what I want to do. You know, I'm going a couple of weeks here, going to go down to Mexico for a different species of turkey. And so in some of these things, it takes a year in advance to plan them out. So, you know, it's kind of, there may be the, the larger international trips, you know, that I'll just earmark one or maybe two a year. And then the rest, I'll do these like, hey, let's run down to Venice, Louisiana and, you know, go do some tuna fishing, you know, again, smaller, like go down on Thursday, fish, Friday, Saturday kind of thing. And then in between there, you've got all your charity functions and things like that that will be more local that we're going to be involved in that, again, we're just we're fortunate we get the referrals from those meetings and, and from those relationships. But you, you did mention one thing I want to go back to it, as far as like that recon of screening and everything, you know, we're, we're really focused on trying to do a lot more of that when I do have, you know, either a client or a prospect jump in on LinkedIn, you know, who do you know, this, that, and try to be a little more proactive on the names, you know, of just saying, hey, is so-and-so, you know, are they a fisherman? Are they a hunter? You know, I am trying and trying is the best way I could put it to be a golfer. I despised it when I started out because I just thought that's the cliche, right? Every advisor golfs. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that. And and it was also, I couldn't justify like four hours out on the golf course away from the office. And so I'm trying to do a lot more of that. And it's it's definitely making a lot more connections. But to be honest, what I'm using it for is to find out, so you golf, but do you hunt and fish? I'll meet you out there. Yeah, we'll play around a golf or whatever, and you're going to kick my butt. But you know, now let's go hunting and let's go fishing. And you know, it does allow me to redeem a little bit of self-esteem too, because you know, I, I kind of, I know what I'm doing there. <laughs> I guess you could say I'm a scratch hunter or so. <laughs> I like that. As you look back now over this trajectory of sort of building to the niche and getting deeper, and then getting deeper, and then getting deeper, and now sort of seeing the the hockey stick of of growth start picking up as you move to the the higher tiers within that space. Like I'm just wondering, as as you look back, are there things that you wish you'd done differently in in building this niche path? Like, what what do you know now about building at Orcs that you wish you'd known 10, 15 years ago when you were starting down this path? I wish you know I would have realized to just kind of that passion prospecting, right? Like I wish I would have realized to just go deal with people who love the outdoors and hunting and fishing earlier. You know, I would, I'd have, you know, even more people that I'm, are just my people and I love meeting with, you know, because everybody, when you're starting out, right, if they fog a mirror, you're going to take them on as a client and time goes on and, and there's certain meetings you see them on your calendar and you're kind of like, oh, it's so-and-so. Well, I know what that meeting is going to be like and I'm not going to really enjoy any of the conversation, but they've been around forever. They've been my client and this and that. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, I like them as a person, but they're not, quote, my people. 
over here. And then there's the others that, you know, in fact, I was just coordinating a, a meeting this week and I said, hey, you know, let's go to lunch. We need to look at this, these other accounts. The first seven minutes will be about business and the rest is going to be about hunting and programs you're using on your farm right now, you know, that kind of stuff. By the way, your wife can join us for the first seven minutes. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely just, I wish I would have known to just make it about that passion and, but, you know, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I just was so focused that, oh, I'm going to work with pros and that's all it's going to be because I can fish, you know. And first of all, there's just, there wasn't enough that were that good that, you know, had had the money, a little bit of a prerequisite to, to be a client, you know. And and so that, that would have sped things up, I guess. So I guess so part of it was like, I I wish I'd focus in this, in this niche earlier, but then also I... I I wish I'd realized I had to evolve the niche a little earlier. Like it, I sort of feel like it sounds like you have some regret that you went as, as deep with the pros before you expanded a little to say, no, no, I really just want to be in people that share this love of this luxury sport who also happen to have some other businesses and assets and other opportunities. Right. And, and, you know, I don't, I wouldn't use the word regret just because I don't live like that. But I think the main thing is, you know, could I have been maybe somewhere farther along or whatever? Maybe, but at the same time, I'm very happy. So, you know, that's why I don't, I don't regret it. I'm just saying if you went back and said, hey, how would you do it over? Well, everybody wants something faster and better, right? So in that respect, I would have not been so pigeonholed on professional bass fishermen in and of themselves for as long as I did. I still would have focused there, you know, to start because it was the great in and the way 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 to the industry. I just would have expanded into the passion side of it faster. You know, I guess I needed to meet Ron Carson a little sooner than I did. So, <laughs> and, and there is to me an interesting sort of highlight and juxtaposition there. Though on the one end, virtually all advisors I know that have gone deep into a niche, the niche evolves over a span of years. Like sometimes you craft a deeper expertise and it, it just sort of literally goes deeper into whoever you're working with. Sometimes you have have scenarios what what that you have I'd almost call like a a lateral pivot like I'm I'm still in the space and this is still my niche but I'm going to serve a slightly different segment within them because I think I actually have a little more business opportunities or expands the circle of who I can work with a little more but I'm still I'm still in the same community I'm still building on the presence that I've already built I'm just maybe aiming for a slightly different segment of the community but it usually still only works when you start more focused in the first place. Like you gotta, you still gotta get known to begin with. And it's hard to get known unless you're all in and pretty focused. Cause if you only show up half the time, cause you're splitting your time somewhere else. Now it takes five years and not three years. Cause you don't show up very much. <laughs> very true. And you know, with kids and family and commitments and everything else, it does get harder to always make. I mean, I didn't just make it to the classic. I was almost scheduled there and things didn't line up and, and I didn't get to go. You know, probably missed some opportunities. And that's okay. I'll, you know, go to ICAST and try and make them up. So what advice would you give to young advisors or newer advisors that are are trying to find this balance, right? Of like, all right, maybe I know a thing I want to go deeper into, but you just said it takes three years, which is like, 2.9 years longer than my contract will be validated waiting to get business going, right? Like, you know, real world, we get these pressures when we're getting started, particularly if you start out in a, in a production client facing role. That's why we all end up with this 
you know, starting out with the vlog and mirror thing. What advice would you give to a an advisor today that's just trying to figure out like how do you how do you balance this? How do you navigate it? How do you think about the competing demands or focus of I got to get me some clients going. I can't wait three years, like Jared just said. But man, this sounds good after three years. Yeah, I think so. And I talk about this when I go back and talk to the students. I say, listen, I, I don't care what your background is or your parents' background, really. If you're, you know, coming out of college, maybe you don't have a whole lot of work experience or something along those lines. But I said, you know, there's things in your life that you know really well. Okay, and and I'm not talking like social media here. I, I mean, like if if you're parents were chicken pluckers, all right? Well, there is an entire massive industry around chickens, chicken plucking, chicken machines. I mean, backyard chicken, uh, everything, right? You actually just managed to one up that you're the bass fisherman niche guy because you just set someone up to be the chicken plucker niche. (laughs) I hope so. And I hope I meet him someday. If you are that person, please contact us. (laughs) 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 so i i tell the students like it doesn't matter what your background is mine was fishing okay never thought it would evolve to what it did but it did and so what uh, the the other key thing that i point out to him is by the way you can't fake it okay because we were like you know well what other things are going on in our community let's let's get theater tickets and let's take you know clients to theaters that say they like the theater or whatever and i went and did that one time okay (laughs) because <laughs> it's not for me. And and I just sit there. I was like, well, first of all, I can't really even talk to him, you know, so there's no business being conducted here. And I don't like this. This is not me. So you got to figure out what is it that I know really well and that I like to do that is, again, it's that passion. What do you, what do you enjoy? And then the other really deep marketing advice I give to the students is that I learned my marketing plan at four years old, okay, growing up on the marina, okay, Fish where the fish are, period. Now, what kind of fish do you want to catch? If I want to go catch bass or crappie or walleye, I know where to go for that exact kind of fish. It is no different in our world. Okay, What kind of fish do you want to catch and how big do you want the fish to be? Then go fishing there. You make a good point that, one, to me, one of the things that's always been fascinating about prospecting and niches and and sort of this this fishing analogy, you know, I, I've told the story sometimes I feel like, so if I look at the traditional advisors marketing plan, I feel like it's like they take a fishing net and they, and they stand on a street corner and wait until something hits their net and just kind of throw it out there and see if anything hits, right? Like that's the classic advisor shotgun approach. And then most of us don't get enough clients from that or not as many as we want. And so the natural response, if you imagine like literally holding a net in your hands and you're not catching enough fish most people tend to just take the net and try to stretch it wider so it covers more space and hopefully more fish will hit it. And of course, if you think about this literally, like if you take a net and stretch it out to twice its size, all the holes get twice as big and all the fish just swim through. If if you really want to actually catch more fish, like tighten up your fishing net and put it where the fish are. <laughs> right? Like go 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 find a stream where those fish are and put it right where they right where they swim and you know even in the context of of like of what you're talking about of this world of small business owners and obviously there's a lot of dollars and wealth around small business owners right we've had advisors in the industry for years who've said you know I specialize in small business owners but 
even when we go there, I feel like we do a lot of, well, I'm just going to stand on the street corner and, and put out my fishing net for small business owners, right? So I'll go to local chamber of commerce meetings, like 47 other advisors who show up at the same thing. But you focus on business owners who have a passion around hunting and fishing and get to spend hours and hours of time inviting them on cool trips and spending deep relationship building time with them because you're going after a particular type, right? And even as you said, like, just go after small business owners who run chicken plucking businesses. I'll bet you they've got their own association. And I'll bet you you're the only advisor who will ever show up at that association. Right. And, you know, so we have chickens at home. That's why I kind of thought of the chicken thing. But I'm really thinking about getting honeybees, you know. So I've started my research, right, to, to figure out. I've never kept bees in my life. I don't know a thing about it. And I started looking and sure enough, there's the local beekeepers association. All the, And not that I'm looking for another niche, but it, it did just stick out in my head. I was like, I bet you in this entire organization, there's probably not an advisor, you know? So if I actually do attend some meetings of these beekeepers and everything else, there's probably a chance I'll get clients from it because, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter what your passion is or interests are, you know, you just need to be genuine with it because if you're not genuine, you know, they're going to find out you're a fake. And, and, and so that's a key point. Don't just because you think, you know, and golf is really mine. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of money in golf. A lot of people, you know, play it and all this other stuff. You know, well, it's pretty obvious I can't fake being good at golf. Uh, so it's, it's out there and I'm just self-admittedly, I'm not a golfer, but, you know, let's go fishing. And and so I'll use it to get introductions, but but I'm not faking it. I really would love to be a better golfer, but it takes a lot of time. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. And I mean, you know, a little bit of by default, there better be some money in that industry because that's kind of what made me go away from the individual pros was there's not enough here. I can't get every single one of them to say yes to me. I knew that, you know, and, and so, and there's not enough of that specific of a niche to support a practice over my lifetime. So so you have to change. You have to. But it didn't take you much of a lot of remove. It's not like you said, oh, forget it that I'm not going to bass fishing anymore i'm well i'm just going to jump to beekeeping now and we'll see how that goes you you just shifted to okay then we'll just look at the broader range of people who are really into this passion of fishing oh it turns out a small percentage of them have some really large businesses let's talk about those so from the from the business end what surprised you most about trying to actually build this into an advisory business I guess it was interesting how, you know, I kind of I kind of feel like a glorified travel agent sometimes. You are organizing all these trips. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I am. And now sometimes I'll use outfitters and stuff to just kind of help because that was the other thing is, you know, I didn't ever want to – I wanted to be on the same level as the other people I'm coming in with, right? I didn't want to be the outfitter. Okay. I wanted to be, hey, I know a guy who's going to set up the trip, but but remember, I'm on your guys' level. Okay, I'm one of you. We're friends. We're here for this experience of catching the fish or hunting the animal or whatever. I didn't need to be the guide. In fact, I don't want to be the guide because then if it's a bad experience hunting or fishing, which you really don't always control, you know, I don't need them looking at me like, oh man, you're you're not a very good fishing guide, you know, probably aren't very good with money, right? I mean, you don't want any kind of association like that. So I'm I'm always adamant that I'm on their side, you know with them it just now it just becomes like hey remember that trip we did where we had a horrible guide that 
took that cool thing we organized and made it really crappy. Like that's our bonding. Now we now. shared that experience. Yeah, we bonded. We shared that experience. It was horrible. You know, I hated paying for that, but you know, it is what it is. We all understand. Remember, hunters and fishers understand. That's why it's hunting and fishing, you know, not killing and catching, you know. So, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Other surprises is, is I kind of thought, again, just be because of reading in the industry and everything, that I was going to have to do a lot of things that I didn't really enjoy necessarily kind of throughout this industry, early on at least, you know, like I'm going to have to do these seminars. I'm going to have to do these things because that's what everybody's done and that's what worked and that's how they got clients. And, and so in a great surprising way, you know, we don't do any of that now. And it's so interesting meeting, you know, you meet with a wholesaler or whatever, which I'm trying to do more, less of, but they always come in, oh, I've got great client event ideas for you. Like, um, no, you don't. Not compared to mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, first of all, let's talk about a client event because uh, mine's probably more fun. Has anybody ever killed an alligator on one of your client events? Yeah. You know, and yours are going to be this general thing. Invite whoever, you know, can come or whoever you got off of a lead list or something like that. And, you know, it always, I always went back to if I were searching for a financial advisor, how would I do it? I am not probably, I'm going to go to successful people. It's just me. And I'm going to ask them, hey, who do you use for this? It's how I've gotten my attorneys and real estate advisors of my own and everything. Same way, you know? So I, I just, I always looked at it and said, well, if I wouldn't become an, or go find my own advisor with that method, I don't want to do that method because I don't believe in it. You know, and I'm just not going to like it, and and I didn't. Well, and it, and it does strike me from that context that you know you're you're deep into this niche and networking around and organizing these events and doing this cool stuff for marketing, but and, and I don't mean this in, in a negative way, but like your website and as advisor is not like welcome bass fishermen. Like you've got a fairly standard typical advisor website, and you know here's the planning services we do, and here's the. Uh, credentials we have like you're you're it just sort of feels and looking at it like you're you're not even necessarily trying to bring them in through the website you're bringing them in very literally through passion prospecting the events the networking the stuff you're doing in person in this community well you you hit a great point there and and so in front of my desk here that i'm staring at is a giant glass board and and under the practice the very first to do is the website. Nah. So, is, so is it coming? Like, is it going to be Welcome, welcome Bass Fishermen? Welcome <laughs> it's not going to be Welcome Bass Fishermen, but we are going to put a lot more, you know, look, we recognize where the success is coming from. And so, and, but again, you are right. It's through word of mouth and through personal introductions. It, it, it typically has not been through just a website search. And, we all know that's changing. Everybody Googles this now first, you know. So our first goal, we went hybrid RIA a couple of years ago and everything. So the first goal was redo the website, make it compliant, get it up, go back to work. You know, it's that time where we're coming back around because we actually have to change our whole provider now. And, and so it's a total giant rework that is literally kicking off right now. And I've actually told my team that that's going to be doing that, that like, look, mine specifically, like my bio and everything and more of the site has got to be geared more towards these passions and, you know, this high net worth planning that is, you know, becoming a lot more of what I'm doing. 
Because I even asked my partner here, like locally, hey, if I said who is the high net worth, you know, attorneys, planners, or whatever in this city, who do you think of? And it was like, wow, maybe there's one estate planning attorney I might think of who's kind of known nationally, but outside of that, no one. And I'm like, let's go fishing where the fish are. You know, there's there's a good opportunity there. And so we are. We're totally reworking the website. Thanks for. Pouring that salt in the wound a little bit there. So, oh, no, I didn't mean to pour salt. In the wound. <laughs> I'm just, kidding. just uh, finding that challenge. I would presume you similarly still have to have this awkward conversation that you've got a partner who didn't necessarily build in that niche. So even if he's all in on it with you now, you guys, or at least his side in particular, would presumably have a whole bunch of clients that are not in the niche who are still clients of the firm and are going to come to the website. Right. And and so it is. It's a balancing act because we can't alienate anybody. You know, we, we recognize who our clients are and that they got us here. So we're not going to alienate anyone. It's just I do want I want it to be more inclusive around that whole kind of outdoors theme. And it may not necessarily be the first landing page that it's all over, but you know, if you're specifically researching me, then then in my bio, my side of that, it's it's gonna have more directly related to that. Which I guess makes sense in a world where I mean, I can't imagine anybody typing to Google like, you know, 401k expert who also bass fishes. Like, that's not how you're going to get them. But but you can easily have a world of someone in the community mentions you. So people do what they do now. They go on Google and they try to check you out. And at least now when they hit your website, they hit your bio. It's like, oh, Jared specializes in working in the bass fishing community. Like, okay, this is my pe-. like, right. Your prospects then say he's my people. And and there's, you know, things like, okay, so I've done, like I mentioned, some of those photo shoots with me and a fish or, or things like that. And, you know, it's always, all right, should at least my headshot be more of that, you know? And I kind of think so, but then you're like, all right, do I alienate somebody or do, you know, I don't want to lose or, or not get the starting with a great client or prospect because maybe they don't. I mean, it's not that I won't handle other people. It's just that this way's worked so well for me and I love it. But I do have the people that aren't, you know, big fishermen or outdoors. It's I, you know, those conversations are typically a lot more business, weather and sports. You know, it's usually just that those those are the conversations that's over in that kind of side. So as as you look back, what was the low point for you? So I share that one with the students too. You know, so when we first started out I got a great education and they brought professionals in to come speak to us in the fact that it's tough starting out, you know, really tough. And so I went into real estate at the same time. So like when I was really starting, okay, my wife was still in school. I had bought a duplex and I was living in one side, renting out the other. And we had done everything possible to get like our monthly living expenses down to about $125 a month. Okay. So she was working part-time at a preschool while she's still in school. And and so it was like, if I brought home a $0 paycheck, we're going to be okay. You know? And and I tell the students, my smallest paycheck, you know, and this was for a two week period was $25. And, And so I told them like, think about that. Like, let's really think about that. You know, you get your paycheck and it's $25 and you know, you're immediately like, well, I'm not doing anything but eating peanut butter and jelly now, you know, for a couple of weeks. And so that is where I was sitting there like, all right, 
you know, some of my friends went and got the corporate jobs and, you know, they're making pretty good money. They're working 80 hours a week kind of stuff, you know, and I'm working a lot, but, you know, man, I'm trying to be this, you know, believer that it's, it's down the road where it's all coming in. And I had a college professor, one of my most favorite ones who just drilled it into my head with delayed gratification. And, and so it, it helped me make it through that kind of low period of time, so to speak, because well, again, I started in March of 02. You know, these were not great times to talk to people about investing money, you know. So if I could get somebody to sign up for 50 bucks a month to put into an IRA, when uh, that, was a, that was a good day, you know. So it, it was tough. And I would say somewhere right around in there was kind of that low point where there just it didn't seem like a lot was going right. And I kind of just had to keep the faith, so to speak. It's a brutal time for anyone and everyone that starts in the in the business, at least if you start down the, you know, getting clients from day one route. You know, now at least there are more firms that will hire you into paraplanner associate advisor type roles where you can you can sit second chair, you can support, you can get some client experience and a stable paycheck and not an obligation to go get clients and prospects from day one. But when you're getting started almost 20 years ago, like that was still virtually how it was done and and for everyone. And it's pretty miserable for everyone, even the survivors that did well, like it's pretty miserable for everyone in the first few years of of trying to start your practice, especially when you do it from scratch straight out of school. Well, and I, you know, uh, I remember those days and I think about that. I'm like, how would I do it today? You know, because I cannot fathom how I did it. it. It would not even remotely work. I mean, the just the cold calling, ordering a leads list, you know, and starting down. And, you know, we've, we've all got those just horror stories of houses you went to for a meeting. You know, I'd take a meeting anywhere kind of thing. And and I do it. I t- tell the students that I'm like, listen, find a smaller independent firm, get a pair planner job, you know, and, and I kind of tell them like, listen, if out there in the industry, if, if that first couple of interviews, if it seems like you're getting sold, how great of a place this is to work and how much money you're going to make, Okay, I would be very leery about taking a position there because it's probably that mentality of take the whole class, throw them against the wall and see who sticks, you know, versus if it seems more like an interrogation, you know, at a smaller firm, that's probably the job you want. That's a good point. The Given the industry's terrible history, like the easier it is to get the job, the more likely it's a sales job, the harder it is to get the job, the more likely it is they're actually going to put you work on constructive things. Right, right. And make a deal, you know, with like maybe the partners of the firm. And I mean, I'll use ours as an example that, hey, look, you know, you're going to go ask people to invest money with you who've been saving money longer than you've been alive. Okay. And and so they're going to be like, well, that's cute. Come talk to me when you got a little experience, you know. So why not make a deal with the partners of the firm and say, listen, guys, I'm going to bring in clients. Okay. I want them earmarked as mine later on down the road you know, when I'm ready to, to be a big boy advisor, you know. And so now you're just saying, look, they trust you because you're family or friend or whatever, and you got a good reputation, but you're introducing them to your firm who's got all the credentials and experience and history. Well, to me, that's a that's a winning formula of, you know, being able to bring on the family and friends in an easier format, you know, versus if you go that other route where it's, you know, everybody just gets thrown against the wall. Well, you know, you bring on your clients and you sell them a policy or you do something, then all of a sudden you, you're you gone. You switch firms because, you know, it, it was not a great experience and now your family left and you burnt that bridge. I mean, you know, that's not a great way to get started in this industry. So as we wrap up, this is a, 
podcasts about successful advisors. And, and one of the things we always find is just like the word success and what people are shooting for varies a lot from one new advisor to the next. And so you, you built this successful business, you built successfully into this niche that, as you said, like now is just getting the hockey stick of growth to the, to the next level. How do you define success for yourself at this point? Hmm, great question. One that I will be dealing with Stephanie a lot on. So I think the, the big thing, so I am not a recognition guy, you know, like the sales award. Okay. And even the sales trips, like the vacations, cause, or, you know, the, the reward trips. Cause I'm usually like, well, I kind of think I design better vacations myself anyways. And I always, I, all I do is picture, you know, anytime like, oh, hey, you hit this sales achievement and we're sending you a plaque and all this other stuff. I simply picture the donkey with the stick and the carrot. And I'm like, I did. It's not me, man. So I, I literally throw them away. I do not keep them. They're not hanging on my office anywhere. I don't have the love me wall. I'm just not that guy. For me, the success, uh, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot because I know Stephanie's going to ask me, is I want to do what I want, when I want, for however long I want. That, to me, is the ultimate success. Okay. And so that's how I'm going to try and focus. I want to do what I want, when I want, for however long I want. Because I think if you're getting up and you're coming into this office and you are dreading something, you know, that's not success. That's work, you know, and that's a four letter word. And so it just, and, and, and I think right now I love what I do, but I'm not having, you know, there's a lot of days. I mean, you look at my calendar and it's, it's back to back nonstop all week long. I love to come in early, but then I'm taken away from family time. You know, that family is extremely important to me. I did grow up with my father kind of gone quite a bit. He's traveled a lot. And and so one of my things was, you know, I, I can't do that. Now I do have to travel, but you know, I'll make it to my kids' play in the middle of the day, you know, at the school kind of thing. I'll do anything it takes to be there. And I do what's called a one and only trip. Thank you, Ron Carson, for that idea too, with the kids. And and so my thing and my personal mission statement is to be a loving husband and a great father while staying true to my personal and professional goals. If I'm finding that balance and all of that, that's success. It's it's no more about the money. You know, when you start out in this industry, people think, oh, it's about the money. I'm going to make a bunch of money and all this stuff. I know people with a lot of money who are not happy at all, you know, and and so I want the balance. That to me is success. I like the growth. I really am focused on trying to go out and buy some practices. I mean, we all know the statistics, average age of the advisor, one man shop, all that stuff. Huge opportunity for somebody like me, you know getting ready to turn the big 4-0 this year. But in so many ways, I feel like I have just gotten started and have just begun to hit my stride, you know, feel like I actually know what I'm doing, you know? So I think that's my focus is just that great balance. I, I love to travel. I love to spend time with my family and doing these things. And as my boys are getting older, you know, take them on these fishing trips and all, because believe me, they see dad go do this stuff. And it's like, dad, when do I get to go to the Amazon? You know, I want to educate them real world like that and spend that kind of time with them. But I'm that guy, if I'm away from this office, it, there's this, and this is my mother's work ethic in me. There, there, I have this issue that I need to I should have be there. I'm missing something. Something's not going the way that I need it. It's getting a lot better. You know, I'm a control freak. That's pretty obvious. But it's getting much better because I've got the right people in the right place doing the right thing here on this team. And and I could not even come close to doing this without them. Well, very cool. Thank you for joining us and sharing that. I just I love that that 
success statement. I just want to be able to do what I want when I want for however long I want. I think that's freedom right there. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us here on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast and, and telling your story, Jared. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.